Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. second episode of the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable. If you listened to the first episode, then welcome back. And if this is your first time, you're listening, then please allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Sean Phelan, and this is the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable, where each week I will be discussing a big topic from the grassroots rugby world with a panel of players, coaches and volunteers from your local rugby clubs. This episode features a discussion on club finances amid lockdown, and how clubs can aim to bounce back We record this live every Thursday evening on Facebook Live. You can watch the episode by visiting facebook.com slash fybrugby every Thursday evening at 6.30. Just to let you know that there's a few technical issues in this episode, but please stick with us and hopefully you'll get something out of the discussion. So let's get on with the show. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm Sean Phelan, and this is the Philly Boots uh, Rugby Roundtable. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome to this uh, discussion we're going to have about uh, club finances and the, the sort of the struggles that we've seen over the last uh, few months with lockdown and COVID and everything, uh, and sort of how we can um, bounce back from that uh, and get our you know, our finances in order and what we can do to to move rugby forward. Uh, at our clubs uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, so I want to bring in uh, today's panel. And we have Sid Miller from uh, Huntington and District uh, RFC. We have Mark Covington from Snap Sponsorship. And we have Jimmy Reese from Warminster oh. RFC. How are we, gents? All good, thank you. Very well, Sean. Thanks so much. Good to see you. Thanks for Thanks for coming on. Uh, Sid, t- tell us a little bit about uh, the struggles that Huntington might be facing at the moment, uh, and I'm sure most clubs in the country are facing as well. So, uh, obviously, like all the clubs, we were uh, were locked down um, uh, sort of like sometime in March. Um, we yeah, never quite recovered from that. We we never quite recovered from that, so uh, because um, a lot of our uh, big fundraising events are backloaded in the season. So we lost our uh, big summer ball. Uh, we lost our farmers' lunch, which we call Tweed Fest, uh, because sort of we get about a hundred farmers turning up, sort of like you know, all wearing sort of like country apparel. Um, we, had, we had various different different things. It was our turn to host the county finals as well, so that would have been a big day. We had a beer festival lined up, we had all sorts of things, and we lost all of that. So that's a huge amount of income we lost. Coupled with that, we're not allowed to use our clubhouse uh, during, over the summer, so. We couldn't have done, done anything anyway, Why is that? But, uh, because um, we're based at Huntington Racecourse and they're our landlords. And just the, uh, oh, okay. the, the, the arrangement we have with them means that they normally let out sort of like you know, our clubhouse and um, and the, the pitches um, sort of like you know, during the summertime to raise extra income for them. Um, as it's turned out, sort of like you know, no other events were allowed, um, and they've been using the, the rugby clubhouse as an emergency ambulance station. So some some goods come out of it. Uh, but not necessarily to our finances. Sure. And Jimmy, uh, Warminster RFC, how how are they coping uh, or not coping so far this uh, this summer? 
I mean, for us, we're uh, quite lucky position, to be honest. Uh, um, a lot of our, obviously, our clubs run by volunteers, so we don't act on staff or anything like that. So that's obviously quite a good position to be in. Um, in terms of our clubhouse as well, we sort of 10 years ago built that ourselves. So we've got real no real outgoings during the summer anyway. So we're actually dealing with it quite well. Obviously, we've lost income, like obviously, like Sid mentioned, our like sort of our vice president lunches, our end of the season dinner, stuff like that, have all been postponed. So we'd have lost a bit of revenue through the bar there, and any hirings we have, like uh, functions and stuff, also also been cancelled. So, situation, but um, we lost Jimmy. We're quite content, oh, no. quite happy where we are at the moment. To be fair. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be it's sort of tough for everybody at the moment. Uh, and Mark, uh, welcome. Uh, uh, how is how is the uh, how is the sponsorship market in, uh, so far? Is it is it going to be as tough as um, people think? Did you get any of that? Are, or... are clubs losing sponsors? It, uh, it's a real mixed bag. To be honest, Sean, I think we've. <clears throat> I don't think I've. We haven't got to the full extent of what the impact's going to be yet because I think there are still clubs that haven't spoken to their sponsors, which I'd you know, urgently encourage everyone to do. Uh, should have spoke to them a, a long time ago. Um, we've seen everything. We've seen sponsors asking for refunds. We've seen um, people terminating deals mid-contract. Um, and equally, we've seen sponsors that have stood by clubs, uh, offered 100% support, paid their, paid their rights fees, and are sitting tight. Um, and I think the clubs that are faring the best out of this are those that have been proactive, uh, reached out to their sponsors, agreed pivots on the deals, looking at digital alternatives, or just generally, you can, you can still communicate to your members just because we're not playing playing the game. So, um, you know, I think the, the key message is, you know, be proactive, speak to the sponsors now. You know, um, we just all need to be really human about it. So I think if we get out there and have those conversations, um, open and honestly and yeah there's plenty of opportunity to either extend the deal for a future season um yeah or, or, or as i say to have have some sort of pivot you know different messaging something covid related um because all those businesses are equally as interested as about bouncing back commercially as as clubs are so i think there's there's a win-win in there you just got to have the conversations Definitely. It's all about being proactive, whether it's sponsorship or, or any uh, funding opportunities. Uh, Sid, you're on the, the board of the East Midlands RFU sort of funding uh, and grants uh, panel. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that role and um, you know, what, is that, what is there available uh, from the RFU at the moment? So, I think the short answer is, is very little. Sort of like I think uh, their financial plight is is fairly well uh, fairly well known. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm on the, the facilities and fundings committee for the East Midlands Rugby Union, which is one of the constituency bodies sort of like know that, that make up uh, the overall uh, uh, RFU. Um, uh, East Midlands covers sort of like, uh, uh, parts of Cambridgeshire, Northamptonshire, parts of Bedfordshire, Lincolnshire, all, all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, there are there are pots of money left. Um, so, if I could, there there were uh, local rugby plans um, which were set up at the start of the season, um, and not all all CBs have finished uh, up those pots of money that were given by the RFU. So, it's worthwhile asking your your local RDO um, if there's any money available left. If there's any sort of scrapping around, also ask your local CBs 
uh, whether there's any money left in yes. their accounts yes. because there's no point in them sitting on reserves when clubs are struggling so if, if you need them go and chat to them but probably of more uh, topical relevance um, i saw today that the rfu have reopened their rfu emergency loans scheme um, now from what i've read these are interest-free loans uh, repayable over three years um, you can borrow between 2k and 10k um, and this can be used for for, for, for any purposes sort of like, you know, whether it's for paying rent or bills or um, sort of like, you know, just you know, keeping the club ongoing um, if you want details of that um, go to the England rugby website um, look at uh, go to the running your club tab and then under coronavirus which is a separate tab again you'll find the loan section uh, and you can you can get a print off the um, the application form there. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you if you need it and it's there, go and get it. Um, yeah, Absolutely. But remember, it, it, it is a loan, not a grant. No, but if yeah, if 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 you if you're desperate for it and you, you know, you've got a good plan in place, um, yeah, then definitely, I think go and, yeah. and check out what is on offer from everybody. I think. And to the, the, two, mean, other, um, two other sources. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say there are two other sources of, of that you can look for. Um, so what one is the um, uh, local community foundations. Every every county seems to have a, a, a community foundation. There's there's 46 of them across the UK, and they tend to run things like now the um, uh, where landfill operators have got um, so to uh, to mitigate the landfill tax, they give grants to to sporting clubs and things like that. It tends to be these community foundations that actually um, sort of are going to run the schemes for them. So you can find them at www.ukcommunityfoundations.org um, or just Google Community Foundations and they'll help you out. And there's also some uh, some money left, I believe, in the Sport England Community Emergency Fund, which is something uh, sort of separate from the RFU funds. So there's uh, plenty to get uh, people to get their teeth into uh, and find, you know, go and check out the internet and find out what is available and, and, and get as much as you can from, from all sorts of uh, places, Sport England. Uh, so, Jimmy, uh, what, where do you think uh, clubs should be starting um, their sort of bounce back? You know, they're thinking about bouncing back. We know rugby's not going to be too far away. Uh, and rugby clubs can sort of most of them can open their clubhouses now. Is 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 this is this summer gonna help? Sean, I'm happy to pick that up for you. If Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's struggling for connection there. Yeah, go um, on, Mark. So I think we you know we're we're quite privileged in that we sit in a position where we we speak to lots of clubs all over the country. So um, we're seeing clubs all approach this differently. Some are still very much, if you like, in lockdown. The doors haven't opened, um, and you know players haven't come back to training. We've got others that have very much come back. You know they are you know exploring the full extent of the socially distanced small group training, and they've got players um, back out on the pitch. Um, and we've even seen some clubs that have um, had I think welcome back for, for what we've done at Warminster um, is just try to operate as usual. I know obviously it's an unused situation, uh, but we're in regular contact with all our thoughts. Jimmy seems to be behind everybody. 
Jimmy, I think you've got some connection issues. We can see you, but we can't hear you. Okay, so if I if I carry on, Sean, what I was basically saying was the other end of the extreme there is, you know, we've seen some clubs have, you know, delivering a welcome back type party already. I think um, I saw Sutton and Epsom have opened their doors. Um, they had uh, social distancing arrangements open the bar last weekend or the weekend before um, with fixed capacity of 150 people. They had outside uh, marquees and, and socially distanced pe- uh, seating outside on the pitch. Um, I know Cobham did something similar. They had a barbecue. They had a, um, a welcome back party, which was you know, effectively, I think, bacon rolls and you know, barbecue going and you know, bring your own blanket, um, buy a pint, take away, sit somewhere out on the pitch, and they marked it all out. You know, so I think you know, the, the reality is it's about exploring exploring the guidance and then seeing what's feasible with the facilities you have. And obviously, it's not going to work for everyone, but broadly, um, if we've got yeah, we've all got pitches and, and facilities. You know, we can create fairly well socially distant spaces, and people can come back and start enjoying, you know, responsibly at the clubs. And I think, if nothing else, if we just re-engage our members, because you know it's been a long time away, and you know, there's been a lot of question mark around whether we are going to play this season. And and now that we're starting to see that positive news flow through the pipes, I think it's it's you know I think start small and, and little and often and try and try and bring back your audience into the club and you know re-engage them socially because it's you know it's so much more than just what happens on the pitch it's all the parents and volunteers and everything else it's like getting everyone back in the fold and, and back engaged um so my you know my personal belief is that you know obviously following guidelines and doing it you know responsibly but you know i'd, I'd get everyone back and, and try and do the most we can um yeah, definitely. Like, no one's seen each other for so long. We can't wait to get back into a clubhouse and, and have a beer with people. Uh, let's take a let's take a question. Uh, it's going to pop up on the screen. Stephen Leach, Mark, do you think sponsorship will move to a smaller local arrangements over larger uh, club offering? Yeah, there's. I can see there's an elaboration of that question as well, slightly further down, two down from there, which is um. Yeah. We'll yeah. The question there is: you know, Do we think that um. Uh, post lockdown, we're going to see smaller, more bespoke deals with local organisations versus larger organisations with whole club offerings. Um, there's no right or wrong answer to this. There's going to be some com- there's going to be some clubs out there that have got large brands, you know, regional, national, international organisations that sponsor them in in a large or small way, um, and and some will retain those sponsors and some will lose them. It's inevitable. Um, and then there's also organisations, clubs out there that are going to be sponsored um, by small organisations for probably quite modest sums of money. Um, I saw something pop up on social media this week. Uh, Chiswick Rugby Club have been sponsored by the local Biltong shop for their man of the match. So every week, um, I can only assume, don't quote me, I could be wrong, but I'm going to make a... I'm going to make a stab in the dark here that um, you know that that man of the match is going to be receiving a, a, a week's supply of Biltong or something of that you know, similar nature, and there may well be some uh, financial incentive for the club uh, around sales. I, again, I, I'm guessing, um, but you know, there's those small local deals. And to get back to the point of your question, I think you know there is just as much value in having a, a, a large volume of low value deals as there is in having a, few, a smaller number of larger value deals. And I don't personally think there's going to be anything which we can specifically label as COVID-related, which will dictate on which side it falls. Um, factors that more influence that, in my opinion, is 
the competency of the club of delivering value. And when I talk about value, I'm talking about the activations and how we bring it to life. So if you've got um, either the competency or the, the resources, the people, the volunteers to um, run more complicated, complex act activations to deliver greater value and exposure to those brands, then you're more likely to command a higher value. Um, if they are, there are say, less sponsorship and more advertising, you know, stick a, you know, a bit of, as, as it's, you know, crudely put lick and stick you know if you're if you're branding assets around the club um and not delivering a huge amount of activation uh at lower value then i would suggest they are more likely to be uh, local businesses but i had a great conversation this week with um phil horsford over at uh, dice rugby club in aberdeen um they've been successful in securing four or five player sponsorships in the last couple of weeks um they're relatively low value but of course if you've got a playing squad of 40 50 players at low value you know they soon start to add up if you if you get lots of the small numbers um and as the conversation i had with him kind of unfolded we were looking at the fact they didn't have an automotive sponsor and the question was raised around well what value does a club in aberdeen with 55 members have to um an automotive brand and my simple response was well how many of those 45 50 players drive a car to come to training and playing and the answer was well, the vast majority i said well that's 45 or 50 mot's it needs to be done every year so you know don't go into necessarily the big chains and retailers but i'd be going and knocking on the door of you know john's automotives limited you know and saying well you know if we were to give you let's take a stab in the dark you know 50 of those players 20 people would come in and have their car MOT throughout the year and 10 percent of those cars failed their mot and the average cost of a repair was £100, um, which is probably a very conservative number, all of a sudden, you know, a couple hundred quid's worth of sponsorship for the water bottles looks like a very reasonable investment for the return that that, that organisation is going to get. So I think it's about looking carefully at what we have as rights owners, as clubs, and, you know, being proactive and going out and having the conversations. But, you know, open those conversations with what you think your value proposition is and, you know, how you position yourself to um, those potential sponsors. Um, but I don't think there's any relevance in the size of the businesses. Um, but I suppose if you want quick wins, I would be looking to the smaller local businesses that you can go in and have you know, sensible conversations with quite quickly. Welcome back, Jimmy. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can, can hear, hear you. Or... Uh, oh, fantastic. Before, before you left us, uh, I asked... Um, how are how are Warminster um, aiming to bounce back uh, in terms of uh, their revenue thing as soon you know, yeah. as soon as possible? Uh, yeah, so like we've been trying to operate as normal. Um, I know it's very normal situations, but we're still uh, obviously looking at our sponsors and talking to our sponsors, making sure that that sort of side of the revenue is coming in ready for next season. Um, obviously, with the restriction, well, the the allowance of uh, sort of groups of six had come into training. We started training, but now the now the bar's opening, so we can invite members to the club on a Saturday now as well. So we're sort of trying to obviously just the normal things that everyone's doing, trying to get members re-engaged in the club, trying to make it a good, fun experience, uh, obviously gearing up to sort of when we get to the other side. Um, also, all of our events that were postponed, we've rescheduled them for the beginning of the season. So... Hopefully, those uh, activities and those social events we had planned prior uh, will be done 
when the season starts again. So hopefully not a lot of missed opportunities for revenue that side of it. Yeah, well, hope, yeah, hope, hope for the best, I guess. Uh, Sid, uh, I'm going to yeah. bring this question to you. Uh, this is uh, from Graham, uh, Graham. Is it finally time for grassroots clubs to reset and address falling numbers? Uh, I don't know whether you mean uh, funding numbers, seeking new initiatives to be inclusive and relevant, focus on minis, women's rugby. Uh, would these would these sort of areas bring in ex added uh, RFU funding or um, uh, so? Like um, I think it's sort of again sort of like it's quite well uh, well known that sort of like the, the women's rugby has always been the poor relation. Um, the fact that sort of like they're still scrabbling around for a sponsor for the uh, the, the Tyrrells 15s, uh, their premier competition, um, sort of like shows that sort of like know that they are uh, unfortunately playing sort of second fiddle, which is is ridiculous. Sort of like because as we all know, sort of like know, they play an extraordinary brand of rugby. And and in Emily Scarrett, you probably got the best rugby player of either sex in the world. So, like, knows is again a fantastic player. Um, I think um, clubs have to diversify to uh, uh, to survive. I think the majority of rugby clubs in the UK are only surviving now because they developed minis and juniors 20, 30 years ago. Um, so it's a natural progression to make sure that you have um, girls rugby and women's rugby playing. Walking rugby is something that sort of like I'm actually sort of thinking about looking into for, for my club and, and for the area, um, simply because sort of like, you know, I'm, uh, my knees aren't good enough to run anymore. So, sort of like, you know, I, 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 but I can still throw a ball around. Um, so, but, but, but I think that's, uh, for clubs to survive, you've got to have a broad base. Uh, and if that means bringing in uh, sort of a women's section, uh, it means more admin, it means more coaching, it means more sort of like, you know, uh, uh, more resources need to be thrown at it. But I think sort of like for the long-term good of all rugby clubs, you do need to broaden, you do need to diversify, and you do need to have all these different sections um, sort of like, you know, as part of your club going forward. Is there any... How do I put it? Is there any added uh, money from the RFU if you were to say, well, we're going to set up a women's section or we're going to set up a mini and junior section? No. Can... Can uh, is there sort of a, a pot that people can dip into? No, not at all. No, you have to do that off your own back. But, but then you then reap the rewards. You, do, of doing you have that. to do it off your own back. Yeah, I mean, you, you I'm, I'm sure that sort of like, you know, the the local RDOs who are tasked with sort of like increasing rugby participation, um, they will they will help. They will offer guidance. They'll offer sort of coaching, and um, so that they they will help. But there's no actual extra funds for doing that. Um, however, once you set it up. There are increased memberships. There's more revenue, sort of like you know, across the, uh, the the tea counter, sort of like and hopefully across the bar as well. You get more people coming along to your functions, um, sort of like you know, if they're, they're made welcome. So that the 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 actual benefits come down the line rather than up front. I would just add to that that you, know, you, become, you become considerably more attractive to sponsors as well. I think the common misconception is the you know, the most valuable thing that everyone's got is the is the front of the first team shirt um, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and we still live in an era where the vast majority of sponsorship revenue is often tied to international tickets and, and the front of the shirt, as I've just, just mentioned. Um, but the reality is you, the value is in your youth and minis. It's in the volume of your membership. Um, it's in ultimately the number of people that have got the propensity to spend money. So, you know, the bigger your club, 
um, the more diverse your club is, the more brands that you potentially appeal to because everyone sells something um, and everyone that's a member of your club is a, is a potential consumer for that brand. So um, the larger the number and the more diverse it is, the more businesses that you're likely to um, be attractive uh, be attractive to. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right there, Mark. When we did our last um, shirt deal um, it was with the local builder who's building a new housing development down the road, um, they weren't that interested in the fact that we, you know, we had a first team and a second team and put the, the, the names on the shirts. What they were interested in is having uh, three to four hundred kids running around on a Sunday morning with their uh, their brands sort of like you know, plastered all over them, uh, and that that's the key thing. It, it, as you say, sort of like you know, the more diverse thing, the more attractive you are to, to sponsors. And let's and let's be perfect. We all know the reality of that is that you know that's four hundred minis kids whose kit either mum or dad are going to be sticking in a washing machine, seeing that brand every single weekend, minimum of once a week, and if we take you know age profiling of the club membership and who's likely to be doing house improvements, building that extension, the additional bedroom, the, the brother, the sister, yeah. the lot conversion, that is the youth and minis parents um, of your club, um, which is again just reinforces even more. Um, you know that is where your value sits, um, and uh, the, the youth and minis section of any club is the most valuable asset that you have from a sponsorship perspective, without doubt. Uh, Jimmy, uh, you're also with Dorset and Wiltshire RFU. Um, yeah. What does a, how can a club um, in that area go up getting one of these grants or loans or uh, anything from uh, from the county board? Uh, so Dorset and Wilts, have, um, when it first happened, uh, the COVID happened, they they set up packs for clubs. So signage hand sanitizer they're doing the legionnaire tests in the clubhouses as well so that's initial pack that's been set up for all clubs that will receive that uh, but also now there's because obviously a lot of the represented side of the rugby was cancelled early and can play as a lot as additional pot fund now so if you contact i'm sure pretty sure around all cbs if you contact your um, secretary um, there should be a funding application they can send across to you for any sort of essential workings or stuff that could help your club through these tricky times Is that the same uh, up with you, Sid? Yeah, so, so in the East Midlands, I, I mentioned earlier, sort of the um, uh, the the, uh, the East Midlands sort of like you know, CB have got sort of like you know, some funds in the bank, some for, for a rainy day, and um, these are those rainy days. But uh, again, it, it, it's not a huge amount. Um, the RFU funding for clubs um, sort of like has has been cut progressively over the past couple of years that I've been involved, and I think. There are 43 clubs, I think, in the East Midlands. And I think we've got something like £16,000 to give to clubs sort of like, you know, for this, this this current season, which you know, you've, you've then got to think, sort of like, you know, do you give sort of a couple of big grants for, for important things, or do you try and sort of spread it out as much as possible around the um, around the area and give lots of little bits? Um, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's very tricky. The, the, the funding um, it just isn't there sort of like, you know, from, from the RFU anymore. Um, so, sort of like, and hopefully, so sort of these days will come back once they've, but uh, um, once they've sorted themselves out financially. Uh, but, but for now, so sort of like, I think we've got to live in, in the reality that you know, we shouldn't expect anything, any grants certainly from the RFU. Uh, but I say these these emergency loans, which they've reopened today, uh, they could well be helpful for people sort of like, in the short term. So the loans again are sort of they're 
you get between £2,000 to £10,000 and they can be for just about anything as long as you qualify, as long as you haven't got you know, thousands of pounds squirreled away in, in, the, uh, in your bank account. Uh, so look, if it, these are meant to be emergency loans. Um, but yeah, have, have a look on the, the England Rugby website for, for more, more details on that. Thanks, Sid. Let's, uh, let's take another question. This one is from uh, Mark Bryan. Uh, now that the pubs are open, I think club bars should open every day to bring back the social club atmosphere of your that's a difficult one because you know you 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 want this outlay but then you've got to pay your bar staff and uh turn the electric on and and have all those sorts of outlays uh i think if, if you've got a, a staff of volunteers then then yeah why not but it's 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 sort of judging that uh the risk versus the reward so to speak are you going to lose money by employing some bar staff and, and opening up? Uh, you've got to sort of work out which is, is it worth it for two or three people to come in every night? I think, yeah, my, my view on that, Sean. Jimmy, are you open every night? Sorry. Sorry, Mark. Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Um, I was just saying, you know, I, I think it's, you, know, you, you don't know what you don't try, and I think you know, there's obviously a commercial exposure, as you right, rightly say, to to opening up, employing your staff. Um, there's been some clubs that have done events quite successfully, or yeah, I'm not sure if we can, strictly speaking, call them events, but you know, opening up and inviting people to come down and pick up a bacon roll, and have a coffee or a pint on, on the weekend. Um, but I think it, it comes down to you know what 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 can you control? Um, you can open up a booking system if you were to get 20 bookings you're open if, if you don't you're not um you can do it on a on an ad hoc basis um if you if it's a if your memberships are from a, a tight-knit community and geographically relatively close you can make it quite a, a short-term announcement if you get 20 people that say they're interested you're open if you don't you don't um and flexible closing time you know we personally as growing up in my, in my club you know we had a flexible closing time the bar was open but if people were sitting there and they weren't drinking and the door, you know, it was it was everyone out, you know, we're, we're, we're shutting. So, you know, if the commercial viability isn't there, then you have a flexible workforce that can either turn on the taps quite literally or, or, or turn them off. So, um, you know, I think at this stage, you know, we're not we're not dealing with something that we've seen before. So I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer. My view on all of this stuff is marketing. You know, it's trial and error. I think give it give it a go. If it doesn't work, stop doing it. Um, but I think the potential upside uh, far outweighs the risk, um, certainly for trying it for the first first couple of times. And again, it all comes down to making sure we're sitting inside the government guidelines um, for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, we do have the ability to open. So my, my personal belief would be, let's get on and do it. I think the, uh, the overriding often, thing, though... Uh, I was just going to say, so I think the overriding thing has to be safety. Uh, even though sort of like clubs are pubs are allowed to open and everything, there are uh, quite strict guidelines over sort of like I say uh, booking a booking a place, keeping social distancing, having proper signposting, and a lot of rugby clubs, particularly the old ones, are not built for that. It's very difficult to have one-way systems going to the gents, um, sort of like if you like, sort of like you know, for, for a lot of buildings. Um, sort of like you know, a lot of the bar areas are too small, sort of like you know, for for, the, for people to do it properly. I know you could do. Um, sort of no way to service and sort of like, and things like that, um, but I think sort of the, the primary thing for all clubs has to be sort of like you know, the safety first. 
and certainly that's that's the approach that our committee have taken um it may well be that sort of like that, that gets loosened as we get a little more comfortable with the ideas um but sort of like i i don't see certainly people that, that, that i know at my clubs so are not rushing back um and they're they're, they're, they're training and they're socially distant training sort of like in accordance with the rfp guidelines and everything but i'm not sure we're going to see the uh, the bar open sort of like uh, in the next few weeks anyway Jimmy, how often is your clubhouse open? So we opened last Saturday, all day. So we started at 12 and then opened to about 6. Like, like Mark said, we were like open door policy, so flexible opening times. When people were there, we kept open. If they weren't, we just shut them. Uh, it was only open to members, so that was our safety precautions. We had obviously all member details. Um, and we also had, because we had a bit out of the way, because we had the seniors training in the morning, we already had that sort of 20 guys up there in, ready for the bar, the bar to open. So we had a, we had a market for it. So we weren't just put, put the opening and hoping three people or four people turn up. We already had sort of 20 guys up there. And then a lot of the members come up in the afternoon. So, I mean, for us, it was quite a quite a good 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 day to have the club open. But, um, but like, put on to Sid's point, our clubhouse is quite modern. So... A lot of one-way systems were able to be done. The gents was a, had an easy access in and out, um, and it was quite quite easy to keep to that social distancing. So for us, it works. Um, we're, we're trialing Sunday this week, so we'll have Saturday and Sunday, uh, and just see how it goes. But it, it's just uh, for us, it's just seeing if we can get people up there. And if no one turns up, it's not we haven't paid any staff to volunteers. We haven't lost anything, so it's just like you said, the risk of just opening, see if anyone comes up. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well, if we can do it. Uh, yeah. Here's another question, and this one is from. Uh, oh, is it going to come up? Here it comes. Uh, are club mergers an answer? Tribalism aside, <laughs> uh, who would like to take that one on? Because that's <laughs> that is. Uh, it's quite uh, actually, Mark. You were part. Yeah, you know, were you there when Guildford and uh, Guildfordians merged? Yeah, I was. A few I mean, years I, back. I, it was a long time ago. Now it feels certainly feels like a long time ago. And I was certainly, um, uh, I was certainly too young to be involved in any of those discussions. And and um, you know, from what I understand of the past, you know, one club had uh, a, a good a good playing side and, and a, a strong um, squad. And the other had a, a better financial position. And again, this is, as I understand it, it might not be strictly uh, exactly correct. Um, so there was a natural case for a merger. Um, it meant that we would have had you know, collaboratively a, a stronger playing base and a, and a more sort of financial resource. Um, uh, obviously, rivalry aside, that was a local derby, and it was it was, um, and there was still some, you know, some of the old guard who still kind of resent some of that. Uh, that merger, but in the main, um, we've come through it, and it's been it's been you know it's been pretty positive. I mean, we've got um, we were never big enough as a physical site to all of the youth and minis, so the youth and minis remain at the old site, and then they they come through. Um, I think like all these things, you know, you're always going to have historic politics and rivalries and things, um, but. If, if clubs are struggling then I think anything is on the table these days I don't think we should I don't think we should ignore any opportunities and if if, if a merger is an answer rather than a club folding and players being without a club to go to 
I'd far rather see a merger happen um, to make sure we still get games on and, and, and bring through the next generation of players. Um, tough as that may be, is a pill to swallow for, for you know, people that have been out and, and, and you know, played some tough matches. Um, you know, I think we all just need to get above that for the greater good of the game and making sure that we provide rugby for, for the next generation. So for me, I think like in business, you know, if there is a, if there's a viable merger, which is going to deliver value value to both parties and it's a genuine win-win, there's, there's in my view, there's nothing to lose. Who's taking it? Who's going first? Sorry. I'll just add another <laughs> point. Um, we've, we've recently um, we've recently merged with our local rivals in our mid and junior section because between both of us, we were both struggling. Uh, and that was a couple of years ago. We've both merged. Now both clubs are, in a senior sense, are doing quite well. So um, it wasn't obviously nothing related to what happened, but uh, sometimes, you, like, like Mark said, you swallow your clock pride and you just have to go with it. And both clubs have benefited from now. So, you know, in modern times, I think times are changing. You've got to adapt to sort of compete with other sports. I, I think you're right, Jimmy. So it's um, uh, we we have no plans to uh, to merge with anyone just at the moment. Um, but I have had sort of like you know, some some wise old heads sort of like you know, um, within the club sort of like you know, who surprised me by saying that, that that might have to be an option sort of like going forwards. Um, quite who we have merged with, I'm not sure. We've got one club sort of like you know, down the road, about eight miles down the road, and the next nearest one's about 15 miles down the road. And uh, they're our local rivals, and sort of like I'm not sure they they like us terribly much. Um, but uh, it was ever thus, sort of like in, in the rugby world. Um, but uh, the, the economic sense, sort of like, um, sort of like well, the, the economics of it makes sense. Um, sort of like uh, if we haven't got a big enough playing base, and obviously that's a uh, a huge problem, sort of like you know, throughout the country. Um, sort of like you know, senior players are, uh, are are disappearing. Sort of like we're not getting enough. Um, sort of like a university leave was coming back to the, the club we're in the first place. Um, there's all sorts of other uh, pressures. There's all sorts of other um, competing activities uh, that people sort of like want to try instead of getting muddy on a Saturday afternoon. Um, uh, you know, maybe mergers are, are the way forward. So sort of like maybe it does need to be sort of slightly slimmed down. Um, I used to play in, in Surrey and sort of like our, our, our closest home game was literally across the railway lines. Now, I could throw a stone and hit old Pauline's ground, sort of like no, just about. Um, where we are now in the East Midlands, you know, we're travelling some really big distances just to play normal league games, sort of, you know, sort of 50, 60 miles. In fact, um, a couple of seasons ago, we had to drive uh, travel up to Chesterfield, which is miles away, um, sort of like no, to go. So the the, the uh, imperative for merging is probably sort of like no, um, uh, better in areas where there are denser populations rather than out sort of like in, in the wilds of Cambridgeshire or, or, or the likes of that. Um, but certainly something to be considered. Yeah, I don't think anything should be sort of taken off the table. No, I don't think anyone's in a position to, to, to not have an open mind. Uh, but I'm just sort of conscious of time. I don't want to keep you all here for, for too much longer tonight. Uh, but... How can clubs prepare themselves to bounce back? What what can they be putting in place or getting uh, ready uh, financially or sponsorship or funding-wise in order to get back uh, on a level playing field before before the uh, playing happens? Mark? 
Um, I think from my perspective, the, uh, I sort of open with it. I think the proactivity now, you know, it, it, it's not waiting till we can go back and get back to games um, to then start thinking about what we're going to do differently. I think there's been some great examples of clubs that have done, you know, I think the time for GoFundMe pages and, and, uh, uh, um, just giving pages has kind of been been and gone, um, but we've seen some we've seen some great campaigns. Um, and I mentioned a couple in a, a recent talk I gave for the RFU. I think Sutton Epsom and Wimbledon stood out to me. Um, two clubs that raised in excess of thirty thousand pounds in kind of four or five days um, to plug holes that their uh, typical summer hire would have delivered them um, had COVID not hit. Um, but, you know, for me, it's just about, you know, it's about engaging our members and whether that's covering the topics we've talked about tonight, opening the bar or just, you know, re-engaging them with content from our sponsors, some calls to action around some simple things that everyone can get involved in. For me, it's just all about getting going and being proactive. If we're not playing, there's plenty of stuff we can still be doing. And I saw a question that was asked earlier about, you know, non-sponsorship based revenue. You know, there are plenty of things that we can be doing now. Um, I'm sure lots of people are, are zoomed out and webinared out, um, but you know there is you know loads of clubs that have run really successful quizzes on a regular repeating basis the entire time throughout lockdown. Um, I know the Akuma Beavers, for example, um, it wasn't even for themselves. They're a nomad side. They do the Seven Circuit, but those guys have raised eight or nine thousand um, pounds on running quizzes. Um, they've had sevens teams from all over Europe where they've toured and played. Um, dialing in fancy dress competitions, themed themed nights, all based around quizzes. Um, 100% of the proceeds have all gone to Shooting Star Chase, which is a fantastic charity. But you know, if they can do it as a group of 20 players and raise nine grand, you know, as clubs with hundreds, if not thousands, of members, you know, we can really we can really be kind of thinking differently about how we raise funds and you know and keep our members engaged. And for me, it's about it's everything's about proactivity. We've just got to get busy now so that we make the return to play easier um, when when we're given the green light. Um, so for me, in terms of bouncing back, it's just about being proactive, whether that's your sponsors, engaging your members, um, getting all of those policies in place, doing all your checks, getting your signage up, doing some trial runs, bringing back 10 players to just run through the process of how we're going to run the one-way system through the club. Whatever it is, it's kind of get it done early, um, learn quick and adapt. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, you know, we will overcome. You know, no one. Yeah, you know, we're not. People in the clubs want to come back. They're not stupid. Um, we just got to, you know, quite literally signpost the way. Um, and and I think I think we can be optimistic in the fact that you know rugby will return. Um, and we will get back to you know everyone keeps talking about the new normal. I firmly believe that we will get back to what normality was before. It's going to take some time. Um, and I don't think we need to over dramatize it. Yeah, you know, we just need to be sensible. Um, and proactive and, and get on with it. Sid, from from a Huntington point of view, what is what is in the pipeline to to uh, plug so, those gaps? So I think I think it's just it's all about uh, communications. It's sort of like a, as Mark said, sort of like as long as you sort of you let people know what's going on, um, sort of like and and signpost them so if I can, then then uh, we can get back to uh, some degree of normality or whatever that that's going to look like uh, but but good comms be it through social media so sort of like through more um, direct communications 
uh, at a team level, sort of like you know, a training, um, sort of like you know, whatever. Um, good comms, sort of like it's really important right now, sort of like you know, to let people know what we're doing so that people can prepare for when we can allow back. And Jimmy, what, uh, how is preparing? We are pretty much the same what Mark and Sid have already said. Um, we're we're open on Saturdays now, hopefully the weekends in the bar, so hopefully that will bring back the members, re-engage them. We're, we're aiming for having our end-of-season presentation like the week before the season is supposed to start. Um, I'm just trying to bring more social, where you know, where possible, the social side of it back to the club. Small groups, just, you know, that sort of side. So obviously re-engaging with all our older members. Uh, there's a lot of people that are trying to come back to the club now, which is positive. from what's happened obviously refound the love of the club again so we're just trying to like manage the membership that's all absence makes the heart grow fonder as they say <laughs> we'll be back in the bar soon I'm, I'm sure right then chaps thank you for thank you for joining me uh this this evening uh it's been a great discussion hope uh hope everyone watching um got something out of it um got their question answered uh and if you don't if you didn't then obviously email us and email me uh info fybrugby.com and we can certainly put your question to jimmy or mark uh offline um next week the panel is going to be about the growth of the women's game uh but if you want to be on that panel then again drop me a dm uh we'd love to hear from you uh, again, again that'll be next Thursday at half past six. Um, in the meantime, Sid, Jimmy, Mark, thank you for joining me tonight, and uh, all the best uh, for your listeners. And uh, we'll, we will speak soon, I'm sure. A huge thank you to Mark Corrington, Sid Miller and Jimmy Reese for joining me. Don't forget we record this live over at facebook.com slash fybrugby every Thursday evening at 6.30 so please come and get involved. Don't forget to follow us on social media facebook.com slash fybrugby and our Twitter and Instagram which are both at fyb underscore rugby. Thanks again for tuning in to the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable with me Sean Phelan. <laughs>